Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Not only was it incredibly scary, but it made Dane feel worthless as a parent. Watching both of his children struggle to breathe. The panic, the rushing to the hospital, the respiratory treatments. Dane would do whatever he could to stop it. He would do whatever he could to make the situation better. And so he was kind of taken aback by the suggestion from the pediatrician. Well, her question was, would you be willing to allow your son to eat dark honey? And puzzled, but I was like, sure, but what's that got to do with the fact that he's struggling to breathe? This is obviously a very scary situation. And yet, the suggestion seems so simple. Almost too simple. Um, I have a very technical background, and she said, I want you to find some local beekeeper and get some dark honey and give him a spoonful every day, and let's see if that won't help with allergies and and therefore control the triggers of this asthma problem. Well, I was puzzled. Puzzled. But as a father who would do anything to help his children, he figured he'd at least give it a shot. So I came home, and um, I started, you know, using Google, dig around, find a few things. I (laughs) I did find a local beekeeper, and I went and got some. And it was interesting because I had never seen dark honey. I'd always seen just the the light, light stuff on the grocery shelf store. Um, within literally two weeks, we could see a difference in my son's breathing. I mean, he was one of those that previously would go from fine to a cough to totally in distress within an hour. And so I continued to research and say, how could this be? What, What is this doing? And in the process, I saw the videos of the bees and I began to understand how they were dancing to communicate in the pheromones and the, the properties of unprocessed honey. You, what it can do for you and the enzymes, the, the pollen, where it comes from on the flowers, the whole arrangement between nectar and the flower is nothing more than bait to get the bee to come to the flower to mess around in the pollen and fly to another similar flower for pollination to occur. I simply had never given that in-depth thought, and I was totally mesmerized by it. And, and so I went to my wife, I said, you know, I think I, I'd like to have some beehives. I think I could do this. Dane Strickland of RJS Bee Farm is a master beekeeper. He can sit and talk bees for hours. 
And he did that with me not too long ago. He told me that the most important thing in a future beekeeper is not a desire for local honey or someone's urge to pollinate their garden with the help of bees. The most important thing in becoming a future beekeeper, a beak as they're called, is to have a fascination with the bees. Dane is fascinated by bees. That was clear. I invite you to take the next hour of your life and find out whether or not these little creatures fascinate you this week on this episode of Homesteady. convinced he wanted to have bees but his wife she wasn't so sure and of course she looked at me and she said wait you're the guy that ran from the wasp fell in the bush and <laughs> broke your ankle right and it was like yeah Where did you fall into i missed that i fell into a bush i i stumbled as i ran through the yard and i fell into an azalea bush and oh, i man. i cracked my ankle running from a wasp and she's like and you want to play with how many bees I don't think Dane is alone in this one. I think most of us probably are a little, if not a lot, scared of bees. Oh yeah, tell me you didn't just get the chills. I've been stung 27 times in my life. Just the fact that I'm keeping track shows you that, well, I don't love the experience. So maybe you're thinking, not me. I will never get bees. They creep me out. But that's what's so cool about Dane's story. They scared him too. He almost broke his ankle running from him. But what happened with his son? Well, it brought him and the bees together. It took me a little while. I I couldn't find resources around me. I didn't know where to look to find resources. All I had was YouTube. And there's so much information there. Some of it's right, some of it's wrong. But I did. I found someone who um, was selling a beehive. I bought that beehive, and I fumbled for a year, observing, looking, learning, reading books from the library, trying to get a hold on it before I found another local beekeeper who said, yeah, come over, I'll show you some stuff. That really changed from it being a struggle to it being total amazement because he showed me some basics that allowed me to enjoy the bees and understand what they were doing. And I think that really, uh, Mr. Richard really was the one that set me on a path to understand the bee biology. If you know what the bees want to do and what they're trying to do right now, this month, at this time of the year, your job as a beekeeper is just to support them and go along with them. You can't make them do anything and you're not going to change their instinct. 
Your job is just to go with them. At this point, I run about 60 hives and I, I don't find it to be a chore. Yes, work has to be done. Sometimes I'm out there for two and three hours because I need to get stuff done. Sometimes it's a challenge, uh, you know, working in family time and bee time. Right. Uh, you, you can't learn much outside the hive. You, you need to yeah. open the hive and compare maybe the video you saw, maybe the book you read, maybe the seminar you went to. You've got to open the hive and go in there and see it for yourself. And then you can go, oh, now I see the pollen. Now I see the larva. So um, it's, it's very fascinating. But that's where that curiosity comes from. I think people that, that have that curiosity were the ones that will gain a tremendous amount of fulfillment personal fulfillment that uh, you, you would not otherwise gain. So maybe you don't have that curiosity. Maybe you're not wondering about the bees and how they work. Okay. Do you like honey? And of course, honey is a, by definition, is a syrup generated 100% by the bees that is primarily nectar from living plants that's the honey we expect and when people buy honey that's what they expect to get you know some beekeepers want to say that they are organic uh, but if you go to the federal government they have a definition of organic and it's not even possible to be organic in the united states really? organic organic by the federal definition says that you have to control every part of the input I can't control what the bees fly and go get. <laughs> if they go down to the local come and go or Circle K and they, they suck yeah. up some slurpy juice off the asphalt in the parking lot, <laughs> I can't control that, no. but it's now my food product is not organic. So yeah. what I can say is that it's natural. Natural means I'm not adding uh, chemicals to the, the, uh, the colony. I am not adulterating the honey by feeding them sugar syrup that would then dilute true honey so you've got natural honey raw honey is very close to it it's not strained as much it might still have visible pieces of wax floating in there if it's really really raw there might be a bee wing in there or a bee leg in there you know now this is the raw my dad knew and in an older generation they would the beekeeper would go in pull a frame out use his pocket knife whack off a section of the comb throw it on the plate, and they take it in the house. That was it. <laughs> there they, you go. You they would eat that for raw. That was raw, and, and they would just take hunks of it and mash it up and put it on their pancakes, and they yeah. ate it as was. That was raw. You can still find comb honey for sale if you look at health food stores, local farm stands. We actually tried some not too long ago, and i got to say I didn't really like the idea of chewing on that waxy honeycomb. But here's the thing. The health benefit that honey gives, like the benefits that Dane experienced with his son, it doesn't come from the actual syrupy sweetness of the honey. It comes from all the little things that are still in that honey. The pollen, the little particles, the bits of bee. Uh, most local beekeepers don't have high-end equipment. We just use basic strainers and five-gallon buckets and allow gravity to do the work. So we take the big pieces out, but by simply straining it, we are still leaving this minute pollen particles in there. And the pollen particles are what we are ingesting in small amounts as we eat the honey, which allows our body 
to desensitize to those pollens. Therefore, our allergies do not react as much. We don't have the kind of response if we're able to desensitize. Now, as it goes with all things regarding health and nutrition, there are people who feel differently about whether or not this actually happens. Some people feel that, yes, exposure to local honey can be good for our health, and others claim it doesn't do anything. One more important thing not to forget is that physicians say children under one should not have honey. Here's the thing. Dane is not promising that this is a miracle cure. Now, it's unfortunate, but um, nothing is perfect. Honey varies from year to year because the flower concentrations differ and the colonies don't coordinate with each other. So a colony may work the marigolds more than they do the clover and another one is working, you know, the apple trees. So the concentrations of nectar are different. The concentrations of pollen are different. So the honey taste can vary year to year. The color varies based upon the source. And then our bodies digest and process differently. So it may be more effective for some people and less effective for others. And that describes my condition exactly because my son, we saw a notable change for him. We did not notice as much with my daughter. So Dane isn't promising that if you or someone you love has respiratory problems, local dark honey is the end-all answer. What he is doing is what his own pediatrician did a few years back and suggests that you try a regular dose of local dark honey, and see what happens for yourself. Just remember, there's a big difference between processed honey and local honey. So you've got uh, processed honey, which typically is what the the large distributors do. They use pumps and filters, not strainers, but filters to filter the product down to very minute, minute particles. They use heaters to heat it up because a thick, cold syrup does not flow well. And they need it to take forever to process. So here is a great example of why the local product is better than the large-scale processed product. Large-scale honey producers want to get it in bottles as quick as they can and get it on shelves and keep it from crystallizing. They need it to be in the bottles so they can get a label on it so they can get it on the store shelf. And then they're filtering it because they don't want it to crystallize on the store shelf. So the way to do this is to run all the honey superheated through filters, not strainers. Strainers allow the finer particles to get through, and that's what helps our body become desensitized. It's a marketing issue. People think something's wrong and there's nothing wrong. Honey, raw honey never goes bad. Yeah. People want the little gummy bear, right? The little honey bear yeah. with the cap that, that yeah. flows quickly when you squeeze it. They, they do, but if they see sugar crystals, they think it's going bad. And, and it's... So that little honey bear that you might see on your local grocery shelf, it might be easier to pour that honey. It's not going to be crystallized. But remember, honey doesn't have a shelf life, no matter how old it might be. But the neat thing about honey is that you can low temperature it will melt back out into a liquid. It never, ever goes bad. Um, There were jars of crystal honey found in King Tut's tomb, fully edible. No way. Yeah. So it's a very fascinating product. Yeah, it's a very fascinating product. It was February 16th, 1923. Almost 100 years ago, this exact day that I'm releasing this show, 
King Tut's tomb was first entered. Well, for the first time in 3,000 years. English archaeologist Howard Carter had been looking for King Tut's tomb for some time. When he arrived in Egypt in 1891, he was convinced that there was at least one undiscovered tomb. Remember, there were lots of robberies going on, tomb robberies, and finding an untouched tomb filled with all the objects that were placed in it 3,000 years ago? Well, that was the dream. After years and years of searching, finally they stumbled across the footsteps to this tomb. They began entering, and after literally months of working their way into it, on February 16th, they entered the innermost chamber where King Tut was himself. King Tut had died when he was a young man. As they prepared his tomb for his journey into the afterlife, believing that he could take with him the things that they placed, they put jewels, golden shrines, statues, weapons, a chariot, all kinds of things they imagined he would need on his journey into the afterlife. And if you're headed into a journey, an eternal journey, what better to bring with you than some food that never, ever spoils? Inside the tomb, they found jars and jars of honey, which is believed to still be edible. I'm guessing because they thought the tomb was cursed, maybe that's why they didn't dip in and give it a taste. This month's episode of Home Study was brought to you by Grow Journey, our partners who have an amazing Seed of the Month Club. With your Grow Journey subscription, you'll get a package every month full of all kinds of different seed varieties that are guaranteed to grow in your hardiness zone, are all organic, and are all delicious vegetables. Along with that, you get full support with their online membership. Find out how to plant your seeds the right way, where to plant them, Everything included in your subscription. And now it's time for the Grow Journey Gardening Tip of the Month. This month, Grow Journey is sharing with us four problems that seed starters and growers are facing. If you're planning on starting your own seeds for your garden this year, in last week's episode, we talked about not having enough light. Another problem you might be facing is not having enough warmth. Be sure to find out what temperature your seeds need in order to germinate. There's a wide degree of variation. Tomato seeds germinate between 70 and 80 Fahrenheit. Watermelons, 70 and 95. So if you try to start all these seeds at the same temperature, you're going to get a lot of different results. And that's not good. When starting warm-loving seeds indoors, make sure that the seed trays are in a warm spot, higher in a room, like the top of a refrigerator is good, or on a commercial heating mat to speed up germination. Fast germinating seeds are less likely to rot, so as soon as you see the seeds peeking above the surface, move them to your light source. That's just one of the four tips. Find out what the other three tips were, go to growjourney.com, sign up for their email list where you will get their monthly gardening tips which are incredibly helpful to us here at the Homesteady Farm and no doubt will be incredibly helpful to you. 
It's free to get on their email list and get all these tips. And you can even get a free month subscription to Grow Journey. Go check them out at growjourney.com. Raw local honey. It's good for you. But there's a lot of good things that we should be eating that probably most of us aren't eating enough of, right? <clears throat> Salad. Here's another reason why raw local honey is better and why you might either want to do bees yourself or find a local farm who's doing them to support. In the ancient times, there's a lot of drawings on various walls that uh, people recognize that honey was a source of sugar. It was a sweetener. They didn't have processed sugars like we have now. Honey was a primary sweetener. And so that evolved forward, you know, even through the 1800s, early 1900s in the U.S. Predominantly, every farm had a couple of beehives. You know, the comment is made to me repetitively um, about flavor. You have to remember that a lot of the processing plants, when they heat it, they're heating to a 160 degrees. That's killing all the enzymes that are in the honey. So you just lost that health benefit. Now, the enzymes don't offer anything in terms of flavor, but the heating of the honey will dissipate the flavor. It's like cooking off of the flavor. But again, they're doing that in order they can process it quicker. But when you buy local honey, it has not been processed like that. Uh, people are blown away by the flavor, by the intensity of the flavor. Sometimes I will set them up if I'm sitting like in a farmer's market and I, I'll have just little popsicle sticks. You know, you buy a thousand of them for like $8. People come along and I let them dip and taste, dip and taste. And invariably, they notice the difference and they will pick their favorite. Uh, so that's a lot of fun because that's also where I get a lot of expressions like, oh my gosh, that tastes so good. You know, <laughs> what did you do yeah. to it? I didn't do anything to it. That's, that's the point. The I didn't do anything to it. What you're getting in the store has been degraded. And, and I, I know people read the articles all the time about adulterated honey. Overseas countries work diligently to sell their honey to the U.S. because they need the money, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's yep. an export for them. They will increase the volume of the honey by adding non-flavored corn syrup to it. So non-flavored wow. corn syrup has no flavor. It's a thick syrup. It mixes with the honey. It makes it a little bit lighter, and you can't tell the difference except the flavor is kind of not there. It's kind of yeah. blander. But it is shipped in by millions of barrels, millions of barrels and when it hits our marketplace sometimes it is shipped in as uh, baking syrup or corn syrup or something like that and then illegally it is relabeled as honey in the US and wow. then it hits our our markets and it goes into mainstream food management food production and so people don't even realize that um, where something may say it has honey as the content, maybe the manufacturer knows that it's not legitimate. Maybe they don't because it is hidden as it yeah. makes its way through our, our food. And so it's, it's, it's sad that this happens in our food system, but we don't have to worry about it. All we have to do is buy local honey, like all the people who rave about Dane's honey. Of course, it makes me feel awesome inside that yeah. they now realize that. Um, but it's yep. not just a sweet syrup. 
and when they taste multiple honeys, light honey versus dark honey, again, they're amazed. They're like, I didn't know there were different flavors of honey. And, the, you know, and there's even special. So as you're listening to this interview with Dane, if you're starting to think to yourself, boy, I got to go out and try this stuff. That's exactly what I was thinking as I was doing this interview. I couldn't wait to run out to one of the local food stores in the area and find some local honey and try it. That's what we did. There's a small store in my area which has only local food and local produce, all within about 100 miles of where we live. And we started there. We went in, and they had a couple different local honeys. There was light honey. There was dark honey. And the coolest part, there were sampler sizes. So I did exactly what Dane said. I tried some of the light honey. I tried some of the darker honey. I talked to the guy behind the counter. He told me that it had to do with the plants and the clovers and the flowers that were growing at that time when the bees were making that honey. We brought it home, and we started with just a light and a dark honey comparison. Now here's a person who'd never in his life had any dark honey. I'd only heard about it from my wife, who used to have bees. At first taste, the light honey was certainly delicious, but it did not compare to the depth and the rich flavor that was in that dark honey. And since that day, I've been a total convert. Now I look for dark honeys, just like like a hipster going into the local bar that only the coolest of people know and asking for a local brew that's only on tap should you know what to ask for. Yeah, that's me when I'm you know, honey And there's even now. specialties. A lot of people have heard of Tupelo honey. There's the sourwood tree in, I believe it's in Kentucky. Uh, there's the sage bush in California. They all have different colors and different flavors. And it's, it's truly amazing. And so there's a lot of variety that people can enjoy instead of just the old standby, almost clear, vegetable oil-looking clover honey. Some people prefer dark. Some people prefer light. It's kind of like choosing certain cuts of meat. I'm more in the dark honey group. I like gotcha. a thicker, slow-moving, darker honey rather than the light thin. Uh, yeah. I find the light thin to be sharp, sweet, not smooth sweet. And um, I guess maybe I'm becoming a honey, honey connoisseur. It sounds like it. <laughs> One of the truths that I've discovered since I began my journey into slow food is that no matter what you put on your table, it has a story. Some people try to ignore that fact, but that's what's led to factory farming and the industrialization of our food chain. We need to embrace that story, learn everything we can about it, and figure out how we can help make good changes. You know, a lot of beekeepers simply extract all at once and they blend it all together. I love having the different colors. I love the flavors and getting to tell the story. When I go to schools and I I do discussions with the kids and presentations with the kids, I bring jars with different colors. And I always ask them, if this one's honey and this one's honey and this one's honey, why are they different colors? The kids will figure it out. You just give them a minute and they will come back and say different flowers. And so I love that conversation because uh, it makes a connection to them. And so they yeah. begin to realize where is our food coming from? Why is it important? And so, you know, those are, those are really neat pieces. As a producer of local food myself, I understand how important that this is. You see, what speaks to people before they care about the animal's well-being 
and the fact that it was raised in a humane way and that it had a special name and it received massages or any of those other things that we try to sell as local food producers. People care about taste. Does this taste better? If it tastes better, then why? And once they learn that the reason the local food they're eating, that they're consuming, tastes better because of where it came from and how it was processed, only then do they start to show interest in that story. And that's how they began to take the step towards realizing they need to support it. And in the case of the bees, support is very important. Not just by beekeepers, but by everyone. We all need to help support the bees because bees are dying and we're not really sure why. But whatever the reason, if we lose our bees, we're in trouble. Why should somebody like me, who's got a little bit of a fear of bees, why are bees important to everybody? Why should we we be loving bees? (laughs) You know, the interesting thing is the bees that we have now are not native to America. Uh, but we have basically run off all of the native bees that did m- the majority of the p- uh, pollination. Wow. Um, there have been estimates. I don't believe they're as credible as we... We casually throw around, throw around that 30% of our produce and food is because of the honeybees and the pollination. I don't believe the number is quite that high. I don't think there's research that really shows us 30%. But I do believe... That if we sit back and look, we could easily justify that 22 to 25 percent of our food supply is the result of the honeybee, the the watermelons, the cantaloupes, apples, pears, almonds. There are hundreds of thousands of colonies of bees that are shipped into California in order to pollinate the almond tree to get almonds. If we don't ship the bees in, there are no almonds. California produces almonds for the entire world. And so it's imperative for our food supply that whether you are a beekeeper or if you simply support a beekeeper or if you're simply a gardener and you avoid seven dust and you slap everybody that tries to buy seven dust because seven dust will wipe out an entire colony. My reading of seven dust is atrocious. It gets on the bees, it cuts them where they breathe, they go back to the hive the other bees attempt to clean them, except it now gets on them. They spread it within the colony. It devastates the colony. So there are so many more better choices if you need to use pesticides on your, your garden plants and your flowers than using a generic, large, uh, wide open, kills 114,000 different kind of bugs. You can support bees simply by managing your garden in a bee safe manner. So when the bees do come to your garden, you've not used pesticides to kill aphids that will also kill bees. So be very careful about the pesticides you choose. Choose things that are very specific. If you choose BT to spray on your tomato plants to deal with the hornworms, BT is targeted at the hornworms. It has zero impact to the bees. That's a good choice. So even if you're not ever planning on getting your own bees, you need to take this seriously. 
No more gardening with seven dust. Pay close attention if the pesticides you choose to use are bee safe. Because if you're not doing this, you're being a real jerk to the bees. And who wants to be a bee jerk? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You know what? I never done anything to be mean to the bees, and yet they still come and sting me, right? Well, let's get something clear. Chances are, if you've been stung by bees, you've actually not been stung by honeybees. More than likely, you've been stung by wasps, yellow jackets. These are not the same thing. I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that I've been stung 27 times. I work outside. There's been occasions where I've stepped on nests. I've accidentally thrown rocks onto them. I've upturned logs where there were nests and old lumber piles. And I've been stung on multiple occasions, multiple times. It's not fun. But of all the times I've done this, all 27 stings, they've all been yellow jackets. I've never once been stung by a honeybee. And you probably haven't either. So consider that fact. And then decide that you too need to support the bees. So there's three different ways that you can support and be a part of beekeeping in general, whether you are the beekeeper or if you're supporting a beekeeper or if you're just being wise about how you manage your crops and how it affects bees. So we all need to play a part in helping the bees. And of course, the best way we can support the bees is by becoming a beekeeper ourselves. And Dane has some great advice to help us get started. What do we have? We've got our... You need the actual hive the bees will live in. You need some tools and some protective gear. And you need the bees themselves. Those are your three pieces. What do you think, what would you estimate someone would be the least amount of money they could spend to get into bees? And what time of year would they want to be doing this? And what should, yeah, what should they expect from their first year? Cost is probably the most difficult number to nail down. Yeah, uh, but let sure. me let's talk about some <laughs> options there. If you're just buying things outright, if you're buying a colony of bees and your rough price is going to be about $140 for a nuke, packages are a little less, but then shipping runs it back up. Um, a swarm is free, but your chances are very low. So we'll go with about $140 on the bees. Um, on your kit, you're a double deep hive kit with some assembly that you do, you're, so you'll save a little bit of money there. You're you're in the $140 to $160 range again. Equipment and tools, um, it's fair to, to allocate about $120. Uh, a typical jacket with a veil will be about $65 to $68. The smoker is about $30. The fancier you get, the more expensive it costs. If you were to buy everything outright brand new, um, yeah. Yes, it's not unusual to be in the 400 to 450 range, but if you if you like to build, there's many items you can build. If you have a table saw, if if you're going to go buy a saw and buy wood to build it, okay, you're not saving anything. Um, but if you like to build, you have right. wood, right. there's lots of ways that you can build pieces and save yourself some money and, of course, yeah. gain a little more um satisfaction that you built those things. I mean, that's your homesteading group is making do with the things you have. I've seen the wood salvaged 
from shipping crates. Taken apart, wow. recut, yeah. renailed, and you end up with a usable hive. The bees That's are great. not picky. Yeah. The bees want dry and uh, secure. That's what they're looking for. So $450 and you're ready to go. But if you want to get a little home steady, you could even cut that back. That's not a whole lot of money invested for something that's going to improve the world, improve your personal garden and homestead, and just be a really awesome hobby to share with your friends. You know, if, you're, if you've got three, four, five colonies, um, your expenses to get started is fairly large. But I can show you very easily in three years how to break even on that. Well, that's great. I'm not talking about treated, um, you know, like a intense business with no tolerance for anything. No, we're talking about don't get caught up in fads. Don't do a bunch of stuff you don't really need to do. Yeah. Don't buy in quantities you don't need. Simply buy what you need. Recognize yep. what the bees need. Allow them to do that. But as long as you don't go extravagant, those expenses will not be outside of the scope of what you can recover in honey sales. It's very easily easy for a colony to produce two and a half to three gallons a year. I would tell you in my area, I can produce five gallons of honey per colony per year on wow. a normal year. And just allow time to go by. You will reap the benefits. You will enjoy it. There's a satisfaction value yeah. that I know you can't put money on. But exactly. you'll, you'll recover your money. Now, you'll have some... A satisfaction level that you can't put money on. For a lot of us homesteading idealists, that's a concept that really makes sense. We get that. But there is someone who doesn't speak the same language as us. Someone who has no problem putting a dollar value to everything and seeing Hello. whether or not it's worth our time. Hey, how are you? Be great. All right, so let's get into bees, man. What is your, uh, what's your feeling about bees? Uh, I got stung as a kid, and now I hate them for life. <laughs> That's pretty much what I said at the beginning of the show. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure they're, like, important and junk, but, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. hate them. <laughs> Only, like, 25% of the food we eat relies on them, but, yeah, you oh, know. Oh, crap. Okay, so, well. for those of you who don't know, this is Accountant Mike. He's my best friend and the farm accountant. And we always give him a call to see whether or not our homesteading ideals really make sense when you look at the dollars and cents figure. He's not swayed by emotion. He's not swayed by feelings. He's swayed by the numbers. And apparently he's not a big fan of bees. Could you foresee a world without bees being worth the sacrifice? Could we survive 25% of our food? Oh, totally. Yeah, we could do that. Come on. <laughs> We we already waste so much food anyway. We just have to get better at not wasting it. <laughs> so you're saying we don't need the bees? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you're like whatever. The evil villain of this episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. How do you do? You, you have a good plan accountant. Like, Mike lives in the city, so I had to make sure he was straight on the facts. Did you get stung yeah. by honeybees or by like yellow jackets? Probably, I'm sure it was like like a yellow jacket. Honeybees are the big fat ones, right? No, those are bumblebees. Boy, dude, come on! Oh, <laughs> you really are. A city Some bumblebee slicker. a transformer? You are grew up in thing? the country. <laughs> Is bumblebee a transformer? <laughs> so honeybees are kind of like they're kind of like bumblebees, but smaller. And more productive with their lives. 
<laughs> They're less like losers. <laughs> Bumblebees are like the Chris Farleys of the insect world. Okay, I, we know how you feel about bees. How do you feel about honey? Oh, I like honey. Yeah, that, that'd be a bummer if all the bees died. Okay, good. We found a way to make bees important to Accountant Mike. But he actually couldn't even remember anything he uses honey on. Except... Sure. Well, it's it's nice. I f- no, I feel like this... Okay, I know what I use it on. If I'm feeling nostalgic, I will make a peanut butter and banana sandwich, and I'll drizzle honey on it. Wow. And that is delicious. Fancy. Yeah, it's good. Try it Nostalgic next, try it for what? Life as Elvis? My, like, <laughs> no, like when I was a kid. Did yeah, your mom make this? So go ahead and make yourself a peanut butter, banana, and honey sandwich and settle in because we're going to do the numbers after a brief message from one of our sponsors. We're excited to announce a new sponsor to the Home Study Show, MyCoreNutrition.net who will be sharing a monthly nutrition tip with us. Here it goes. Hi, everyone. This is Denise from MyCoreNutrition.net with your nutrition tip of the month. This month's tip is all about why you should eat grass-fed meat. Our body is pretty particular. It demands top shelf, especially when it comes to animal protein. And here are three reasons why ours should only be pastured or wild. Number one, stress. Animal protein that comes from contained animal farming operations, known as CAFOs, create high stress levels in the animal. Their stress of high adrenaline levels ends up in their meat, and this is detrimental to our health. Number two, antibiotics. CAFO animals must be kept healthy, so they are pumped full of, you guessed it, antibiotics, so they live just long enough to get to market. Number three, hormones. These poor creatures cannot live for long periods under this duress, so hormones are essential for them to grow fast so they can get to market quickly. All the stress, antibiotics, and hormones end up on our plate. This creates a domino effect of health issues that build in our body over years. Want to learn the fourth reason why you should avoid CAFO meat and find out what questions you can ask your farmer to ensure you're getting a safe product? Head on over to MyCoreNutrition.net and you can read the rest of this blog, check out our videos, and browse our recipes. Share your email address and I'll send you a delicious braised grass-fed pork chop recipe that you're going to love. Look forward to seeing you at MyCoreNutrition.net. The first thing Accountant Mike needed to be made clear, are we going to get stung? So Dane has um, 60 hives. Wow. Six zero? Yeah, six zero. Okay. And All he right. says, with that amount of exposure, this is a guy who goes, the city will call him up and say, there's a swarm in an abandoned apartment building. Can you come and capture it? And Dane wow. will show up and capture the bee swarm. Uh, he's kind of like a superhero. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. So anyway, Dane has a high exposure, and he says with that much exposure, you are absolutely going to get stung. Um, he also says if you raise just one box of bees, you're still going to get stung because okay. one bee is going to wind up crawling up your suit and uh, getting in there and getting Ooh. stuck and sting you. So let your analytical brain consider 
<laughs> the <laughs> like how many times are we talking about here? Like if he's got sixty hives, well, how many bees are in a hive? So yeah, accountant Mike isn't real excited about getting stung. Let's see if the numbers can cheer him up. Yeah. So your first year, first off, you have to have bees. Most people have to buy the bees that they're going to use in their hive. So bees and all the startup equipment, Dane put the figure at about, Dane said that was about $450 total, uh, okay. including your your hive and your bees. I believe Dane knows his numbers, and he made the breakdown very easy. Okay. So Dane says, according to Dane, he says he can help you within three years' time pay off your investment and become profitable. Wow. Accountant Mike seemed impressed, but then he heard this. Now, let's talk about what that profit is and what that time. He's not considering his time, his effort. Okay. Uh, so you got to get bees. Obviously, there's going to be a learning curve, but Dane says the regular average care of the bees is about an, can be as little as an hour per month out of the year. Dane told us that within that year's time, one beekeeper at about an hour a month could generate two and a half to three gallons of honey, even more if you were in a really good area. I spent, yeah. I think, I want to say I spent $10 on oh, wow. a quart. A quart a is smaller quart than seems a like pint, a lot. right? Uh, is it? I don't know. You get a pint at the pub. <laughs> if I need to find out now, though, that's so sad. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be people out there who are like, come on, how do you not know this? But I, I know. I can <laughs> I edit no it idea. out. <laughs> so we finally figured out that I was getting one pint for $10. So how much money is a beekeeper making? <laughs> one gallon is equal to eight pints. So yeah, 80 bucks for a gallon if you're paying 10 bucks per pint. About $80 in cash for your gallon um, around yeah. here. You can get yeah. three. Let's, let's imagine you're going to get three gallons out of one hive, which cost you $450. Right. How many years? Dane's is three. Okay. So let's say you're going to sell them by the pint. That means you're getting 24 pints out of each one. If you're getting 10 bucks a piece, that means it's 240 bucks out of each hive. Yeah, he said three years now to be profitable. That makes sense. So it's not looking awful right away. But then we started to consider... The time factor. Dane himself says, Well, then I would not tell you beekeeping is a great place to make money because it's not. Um, I, I, I never want to calculate how much labor I'm putting into this because I would scare myself. Oh, that's not a good sign. I would probably throw my hands up in the air and quit. So, Wait, but I, I thought that he said, I thought that you said before that it's, some, it's like an hour a month or something. He said it could be as little as an hour a month. So, oh. Imagine you're new and you're starting it off. You're going to have a lot of time oh. in the up the upfront, and then he Eesh. said, "And mm-hmm. I'm not even kidding you." He warned about bears coming and breaking into your honey. <laughs> that honey's there now. Should you have a catastrophe? Should you have uh, a bear trash your hive? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty 
pretty extensive loss. Dude, in, I've in said my... that before. All these things, you got to worry about bears. You always say that's your line. <laughs> that should be your bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then a bear comes along and eats your investment. Dude. Wow, but he really warned about it? Oh, man. That is the Accounted Mike t-shirt. But then yeah. a bear comes along. <laughs> <laughs> How do you deal with that? It's a casualty loss, I guess. <laughs> I'm on this. Like, okay, I could see if you're spending exactly one hour a month on one hive and you're getting 24 pints a month out of it, right? Wait, a month no, or a year? A year. Oh my god. No, yeah, that's. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, never mind. That stinks. <laughs> so, so that means for that twenty-four pints Did you're we spending. Just hear at the... your thumb go from up to down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing: like from a pure number standpoint, if you're not spending any time on this in a couple of years, <laughs> you will break even. <laughs> yeah. And if you keep doing it for five or six, you might even make some money. But if he's talking about, if yeah, if there's any significant amount of time going on here, this this stinks. If you're getting 24 pints a year out of it and selling them for $10 a pint, that's 240 bucks. But you're spending at the bare, bare minimum an hour a month working on the thing. Yeah. That means you're spending 12 hours to produce 24 pints that you're going to get paid 10 bucks each for. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's really bad. Okay. <laughs> and then if it takes you any longer or if there's a bear, if it takes you two hours a month your first year, that means you're going to work 24 hours and get paid 240 bucks. That's $10 an hour. Oh, man. But you have to buy all the stuff. <laughs> so it's $10 an hour before <laughs> spending. Yeah. This wasn't bit. looking good. No. This might be the worst one yet. This is horrible. <laughs> I mean, because you're getting stung by bees to do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right off the bat. Well, and even uh, even think about how much money uh, money. <laughs> think about how much honey you actually use. Right. Yeah. You get that pint jar. How long does it take you to go through that pint? Do you do you go through it in a month? And this is like. A lot of the stuff we talk about, if you scale it big enough, it makes sense. But I feel like the scale that this sort of thing has to be at in order to make sense is just, it's huge, you know? Yeah. I just don't think that the, I don't think the normal, even homesteady consumer, I don't think they're going to use enough honey to justify spending so much time to do it themselves. Yeah. I, I really feel like the average homesteader would probably go through a pint of honey in two months, three months, four months. And then what? You're talking about you're spending $2.50 a month to just buy this. So Mike's point is a valid one. If you're not a big honey consumer, you're not really going to make enough money from your side honey business to have this make sense. But before we hand over complete and utter victory to Accountant Mike, there is something to consider. Lots of families are moving away from refined sugars. They're trying to feed their kids healthier options while still having sweets in the house. Our family is one of those families. We're trying in as many ways as we can to cut back on the refined sugars and substitute them with natural sugars, sugars that are whole foods. 
sugars like maple syrup, and honey. And so in households like ours, you might be going through a lot more honey than the average family. In fact, we go through about a pint a week. So if you are a big-time honey consumer, even though you might not make a ton of money doing this, it still could be a good option for your family. That said, there was no convincing accountant Mike. Yeah, it's a thumbs down for sure. That's... I even tried to convince him with the whole big picture save the bees thing. Because we do need bees to save our uh, our 25% Planet. of our crops. You wouldn't have any yeah. almonds, man. Could you picture life without oh, almonds? Oh, no. I can't eat almonds anyway, so good riddance. <laughs> Take that. You picked the wrong nut. <laughs> uh, well, do we still have cashews? I I can't honestly say. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sure we probably would. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Bro, thanks for taking the time, as usual. Yeah, yeah, no problem. All right, Accountant Mike, we'll let you go, man. We know you have taxes to do. Cool. All right. So Accountant Mike gave us a thumbs down. But remember, Dane never promised we were going to make a lot of money doing bees. He said the reason to getting into doing bees was not for the money or even the honey. I can sit and watch the bees flying in and out for hours. The pollen on their legs, the way they introduce each other when they land, they're sharing taste. They are um, bringing nectar from one bee to another bee to take it inside. Another bee is bringing trash out and throwing it out. It's just fascinating to watch them. Everybody's got a purpose and everybody's busy. Everybody having a purpose and everybody being busy. That's kind of what all of us as homesteaders are looking for. Does this sound appealing to you? Does this idea of beekeeping sound like something you might be interested in? Remember what Dane says. Don't get caught up in all the hype. Know what things you need to buy and what things you might be able to either never get at all or wait till later when you absolutely need them. To help you out, there's an awesome Pioneers Only episode with Dane where he goes into detail about what you should buy your first year, what you shouldn't buy your first year, the things you don't need. He even gives you his opinion on why you should not go out and buy one of those fancy flow hives. Become a pioneer. It's only five bucks a month. You'll have access to the extra 40 minutes that we talked about beekeeping. You'll be able to figure out whether or not beekeeping is right for you. Become a pioneer. You'll have access to that and all the extra Pioneers Only podcasts and videos, just like Terry from Oklahoma. Home Study Pioneer here from Northeast Oklahoma. I'm out today checking on my chickens, doing a little bit of feeding. Bark, 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 bark. Live in a little over an acre of land and uh, have seven chickens, three of which are laying. I've got three brand new chickens that have not started laying yet. And one, isn't that right, Laverne? One that's been named by my wife, my wife's friend actually, as she's the one that gave us the chicken when she quit, that has become a pet. So she gets a stay. Are y'all camera shy? Anyway, I'm Terry Gerard, and I'm homesteading. So Bees joins the ranks alongside of Farm Fresh Eggs as something that you should do on your homestead, even though Accountant Mike says not to. Because, quite frankly, when it comes down to it, all these homesteading endeavors... 
most of us really aren't doing them to actually save money anyway. You, people talk about, well, can I make money? People always ask me that. Yes, you can if you treat it like a business. But I can tell you there is so much more fun in having the honey, bottling it up, keeping a few of them with you. And when you go places and people do nice things for you, hand them a bottle of honey and say, hey, this is for you. It's all natural. It is pure, straight from my hives, and it is raw honey. It hasn't been cooked, processed, diluted, or anything. And they view that as valuable. Since we started the Home Study Show, we set out on an endeavor to take a hard look at all these homesteading and farming and outdoor hobbies of ours and try to get a good idea if they're worth our time and worth our investment. And I don't care how many times we do a breakdown with Accountant Mike and look at the numbers and try to judge based off of what the dollar bill says. There is no better way to answer the question of whether something is worth doing than with what Dane just said. Yeah, maybe you can make money and maybe you can't. But if you can empower yourself and empower your community, build up your relationships with one another, and contribute towards a better health of our planet just with a few bees yeah that's definitely worth doing alright it's giveaway time we promised we would give away four Grow Journey subscriptions this month we're going to help you guys kickstart your gardens. But before we announce the winner, let's talk about how you're enjoying this month with four episodes of Homesteady. Are you loving it? Uh, we are having a great time this month doing more than one episode. It's kind of like a glimpse into a future where we can do more shows. You guys can enjoy more Homesteady. Uh, and that is a very real future. We're seeing with this month of February, we've already finished two episodes we're starting our third, uh, and someday we'll be able to do this with enough support. Uh, so now is the time to head on over to thisishomesteady.com and become a pioneer. Support the show. Not only will you get to help the show continue going and get more episodes in the future, uh, but you'll get access to our library, which is loaded with extra episodes of the podcast. Uh, there is currently seven pages in the library each page filled with five different either videos or podcast episodes that you can't listen to anywhere else. Uh, so if you're out of the episodes to listen to in iTunes and you want more, head on over to This Is Home Study and become a pioneer. Uh, now it's giveaway time. So we asked you guys to do two things this month. First, become a pioneer. And second, share the show with the hashtag IamHomeStudy. Now here's the thing. I know lots of you guys shared the show. I can see on the website where you clicked on the Facebook links uh, and the Pinterest and all that. Uh, and that I'm so thankful for. But if you didn't hashtag it, I am homesteady, uh, then I can't find your post. So I can't give you a prize. Somebody did hashtag it. And that's our buddy Terry, who you heard at the Pioneer Shoutout. Terry was the first person to share the show with hashtag I am homesteady. And so to thank Terry for sharing it, we are going to send him three-month subscription to Grow Journey. 
So Terry, email me your address. We'll hook you up with Grow Journey, and they will be sending you organic seeds, three months worth to kickstart your garden this year in the mail. I know you're going to love it because I get it and I love it. It's like a little present each month to my garden, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you want to win a Grow Journey package, you can become a pioneer, or you can share the show with hashtag I am homesteady, or you can do what Terry did and do both. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much, Terry. I hope you enjoy that giveaway. Special thanks to Dane from RJSB Farm for his help in this episode. He took so much time with us talking about bees. If you want to do bees yourself, if you're thinking about it, there's a Pioneers Only episode in the library. It's another long interview with Dane, all about the details and specifics of beekeeping and equipment. Uh, so check it out. I know you're going to enjoy that. And of course, if you're going to do some beekeeping, visit rjsbeefarm.com. Check out Dane's website. Uh, call him up. Email him. He's super helpful. He really just wants to see you succeed as a beekeeper. Uh, so email him. Uh, he's an extremely awesome beekeeping mentor. Uh, and I know he's looking forward to hearing from you. We promised in February four episodes. Next week, there will be another episode. Our goal was 50 new pioneers. We are currently behind. Help us reach the goal. And look forward to next week's episode of Home Study, which will be all about bears in the dark woods. We look forward to sharing that with you next week. Now go become a pioneer.